Well, welcome back. We are talking to Joe Dillon, who is a strategist with the International Mission Board. And we're kind of talking about the life cycles of churches and pastors and how that relates to missions. And so, Joe, we've covered the church planting or infancy stage, adolescence. And now I think we're moving into adulthood. Is right. That right. We're moving into mature or, or at least adulthood. And so tell us a little bit about what that looks like in the life of a church. Well, of course, you know, young adulthood is different than midlife and becoming a senior. And I, I think of one church in particular I was working with. They, they, they set up their chairs in a school and they went through years of kind of the whole, you know, take down you know, put up. And that was exciting at first, but over the years as the church grew, that became more, you know, mechanistically difficult to handle. So excitement, I mean, real, you know, just palpable excitement about the purchase of land, the building of the first facilities came. They occupied the buildings, you know, it's kind of like the whole building of the Davidic temple. You know, it was awesome. <laughs> right. you know, it was, I remember the pastor, he was just super, super guy. About three years into it, they, they had had successful elder formation. The church had good structures. They, they had a lot of lacking in what I'd call missiology comprehension, but they were going and they were, they were mature in their decision-making process. And I can remember uh, they had initially had pledges from the congregation to build that facility. Or well, four years into it, they, they had grown they needed to finish paying off that building. And I can remember him lamenting how hard it was to get people motivated yeah. to pay a second tranche on the building that now had fingerprints all over it. And there were coffee spills, you know, <laughs> you know, on the carpet. So they're, they're beginning to deal with the reality of what I'd call North American church institutionalism. They, uh-huh. They've achieved their goals and their dreams. Some of them are very fulfilling and fruitful, and some of them they're beginning to see, oh, okay, well, this brings a different dimension. There's responsibilities we didn't have before. There's lack, the freedom isn't there before. We have to be more cautious and more thoughtful and all, mm. because it has a greater impact in the entirety of the organization. You, you know, I can I can I can think about what you're talking and, and it sounds like I mean, you you know, there's a there's a goal to protect that structures and those buildings and things like that. In today's world, things are getting kind of crazy. Right. And I can see how, you know, they're trying to protect like like uh, from being sued. You know, if you do an right. event now, you've got to protect that and you've got to have policies. You got to have all this stuff. So I can see it's it, it really is similar to moving into just a, a person's adulthood where you, you know, you start buying insurance, you start worrying about, you know, if I get killed, how are my kids going to be taken care of and, and all that. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. similarities are. Yeah, and are, sometimes are, this church has, uh, you know, a mul- there may be multiple staff, may not. Uh, but again, the, the leadership tends to have to be more mature. The pastor tends to still be in the warrior stage, but he is at the he doesn't know it yet. But he's coming to the end of his warrior stage, moving towards king, what I'd call kingship. Okay. Where he's going to reign over his domain, whatever that domain may be. It, this is a guy who's, you know, he stayed with the church. Now, there's a whole other issue is when 
I, as a warrior pastor, come in to follow a pastor who was king. That's a whole. Uh, that's. I mean, we haven't. Even, <laughs> we haven't. Even, we were kind of staying with the whole, you know, transition of a church. Right. But that that opens up a whole different scenario. Is when you and I are moving into take uh, over the leadership or staffing in a church that has a king, a warrior or a senior, you know, kind of what we call a coach or a sage pastor. Right. It's it's kind of common sense, I guess, in our world in church life that it's very, if a guy's been there 20, 30, 40 years as pastor, you don't want to be the next guy in line, you know, because that's just really tough following a king, isn't it? Well, I would say, I would say this. If you're prepared and you understand what you're walking into, it's great. It, the, what's the what's the old adage is the greatest the greatest disappointments in life, you know, are are around false expectations. OK, a warrior is so filled with so many life expectations when he walks into uh, that. He's replacing or, you know, that that's that king stage or that sage pastor has moved on. If he, right. if he understands and, and can unravel the value system of that congregation that was established under that former pastoral leadership, or or you as a staff member, you're taking a role with a king or a sage pastor. You've got to take the time to do that in order to survive and thrive. And you can survive and thrive. One of the things I ran into, my greatest discouragement was how much discouragement there is in ministry. Huh. Okay, explain that. Flesh that out for us a little bit. Well, again, not knowing who I am and not knowing the context of, of which I'm serving, having expectations that are unfulfilled and unrealized often leads us into discouragement. And I think if we are sober and go in with a realistic grasp of what we're dealing with, it prepares us for the long haul. And we know statistically from looking at this, Men who stay the long haul, pastors, ministers, men or women who stay on staff for the long haul, have more potential to have impact in the life of people that they're influencing than those who become discouraged and say, you know, God, get me out of the belly of this well. You know what? And I can attest to that because I have been at this church for 30 years in my current position for 21 years and and I have seen great value in just being here a long time simply because a lot of connections a lot of contacts um, you, you know you know a lot of people in the church and you get to meet a lot of new people so it's a great benefit and I found that it's really a lot easier to get things done because you go oh I know so-and-so I can call so you know and so I've seen some of that happen in my own life. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a natural progress. It's uh, a lot of those things we see in hindsight. You know, yeah. uh, I, I remember yeah, I got a funny football story there, but I won't tell it. But just, you know, hindsight is clear. Wait a minute. Is it is, if it's Alabama? No, 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 no. Football story. I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm, no, I no, staying no, away no. From that. It was it was Auburn. But you better stay away from that. We'll move on. <laughs> I, I don't want any detractors out there. So. Yeah, <laughs> I can give them your email. No, no, I don't want to. Don't do that. Uh, but you know, okay, I'm thinking about as a as a person gets older, like you say, it's harder to change. Is it harder to move these adult 
you know, moving on churches into missions if they've never done it before. Let's take that situation. Well, if they really haven't done a lot, uh, we're not talking about the church that built it into its DNA, but let's talk about a church that's saying, okay, you know, we're kind of ready to do some missions now. Is yes, it harder to abso- work with them? Absolutely, especially as you move into the uh, a, a steeper maturity curve because of the fact that it's like, why now? Why this? Mm. Uh, other values have been established and it usually it will come it will usually come at the point that the church gets new leadership and that new leader has a much more you know missional focused value uh-huh. our pastors often will at the end or midstream in their ministry all of a sudden awaken to hey you know the great commission has been given to me i can't just send money to a missionary denominational organization, we, we've got to mobilize our congregation. Again, the 1-8 spectrum doesn't say, well, our church is going to fulfill Jerusalem, and then we're just going to pay somebody else to take care of Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. We've got our role in that. So when yeah. that happens, the, the congregation, begin, it's a new value. And so if yeah. you've got a strategy and a plan, it can be done, but it's, it is, it takes a systematic determinative plan that you have to be patient to bring your people along because they're saying, well, where did this come from? Yeah, this is new. Right. This is new. You know, it, it, it just for the listener's audience, it is at least my viewpoint. And I believe it's Joe's also, I can't speak for Joe, but, uh, it is our viewpoint in Southern Baptist life and with the International Mission Board that the church is called to do missions. The International Mission Board is there to help the church fulfill its responsibility. And so, it, you know, I can't pay somebody to go out and witness for me. I can't pay somebody necessarily to go out and take the gospel to places that doesn't exist around the world. That's really my responsibility. Now, can I work with others to help us do that? Absolutely. But is that true, Joe? Is that the way you guys look at it? Well, I think, uh, and whether you, whether you like him or not, I think John Piper has written some good things about the preface, you know, becoming professionals. And mm. I, I think many times, and I'm just saying this from a distant observer in my own life, is that many times Southern Baptist, I think, years ago decided to adopt the model of Americanized business as opposed to the biblical normative process of organic engagement of lostness. And I'm not saying that's altogether bad. Uh, I'm just saying it's very programmatical. It's very structured and it's very determinate upon expertise. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think the amazing thing for me later on in life is, is having a period of time of reflection and seeing that Jesus didn't seem to need any of the tools that we so esteem to accomplish the task, which was very, wow. you know, that's a, that's a little, I know that's got a prophetic edge to it. And I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. That's not my intent, but I'm, I'm dealing with my own personal, you know, life journey here is, is that sometimes I, I've, I've seen the power of God in simplicity on the mission field. But when I stepped back into the American church, I picked right up the mantle of the complexity of programmation, you know, complex structures, uh, entertainment Uh value, you know, those kind of things, marketing. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that they're evil or anything like that. I'm just saying that sometimes they cloud our judgment. Yeah. Well, you know what? In, In my thinking of moving out of adulthood 
now we're moving into, I guess we, we can call it senior adulthood. And Joe, I tell you what, it reminds me of a story. We have a mutual friend. I won't mention his name, but he had shared a story of going into a large church to work with them. And the pastor took him in and he was, you know, he was probably um, in the, that senior adult range. He definitely was in age, but the church was, he was, and, and he, and he took our friend around and he showed him the buildings and he said, here's our church. And uh, here's all this. And then he looked at our friend and I'll never forget this. He looked at him and said, I've spent the, he said, I've spent the last 20 years building this church. And, and this, as part of context, this pastor had been through cancer, uh, had survived, and he's been through some life-changing, altering situations. And then he had a tear in his eye, and he looked at him, and he said, I've been spent the last 20 years building my church. Now I want to build God's church. And with tears in his eyes, he looked at our friend, and he said, I want the whole front of this church. I want you to help us be missional, and I want the whole front of this church to say missions that we're going to go and build the church that God wants us to build around the world. And I'll never forget that story. And that was a senior pastor. He was senior in age and he had come through life realizing he had built his church up, but he would had a missing element. Have you seen that very much uh, in your travels? You know, I I'd say that I, I get to see it because those are the type of senior adult pastors who call us and say, we're, we've had this awakening we, we want this to happen. I've got five years left before I pass this torch on. And maybe this is a spot I've missed. Uh, or maybe this is a spot that we've done. We've done trips, but we really haven't done strategy. We haven't engaged long term with the purpose of seeing New Testament biblical churches. You know, and they would they would have wanted right. that to happen, but they didn't ever. You know, pastoral life came at them so fast and there were so many demands from the institution they really never had a chance to slow down and think about the implications of what they were doing in Philadelphia or the, or in, uh, you know, Mumbai. Uh, so mm-hmm. yes, uh, but I would also say that th- that's a minority. <laughs> okay. Honestly, uh, uh, often I'm a, I'm a senior adult as well. And, and senior adult years are, you know, tend you tend to fall in the category where you, there's some regret where you can look back and lament what didn't happen or could have happened or, or if you're of this tendency, bitter about what should have happened. That okay. happens to a lot of pastors. We get to that place and, and, you know, it's not, you know, we turned out to be a, you know, a 20, 25, we had 25% increase in fruit instead of a hundred fruit, uh, you know, right. not, whatever. Uh, and, uh, I think there's a reason behind that. And let me give you that. The reason I think so many pastors are, are, are frustrated and this is kind of a rabbit trail, but I feel compelled to pursue it. We love rabbits. Yeah. Go well, for it. Well, look, you, you know how there are many uh, cultural myths that are, uh, ascribed to scripture. Like when I was growing up, my mother used to tell me, I'd go out and play in the Creek, come home, track, you know, mud in. And she'd say, cleanliness yeah. is next to what? Well, if I had any sophistication, I'd say text and verse, mom. Now she would have been, she would have, <laughs> I would have got a whooping. <laughs> okay. Okay. Confession, but, but if Joe, I, confession, but if, I did that to my grandmother one time and I'll regret yeah, it for yeah. the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean, I, I, in my generation, you didn't even, even if it, even if that would have been the right question to your mom, you didn't ask it. But, uh, but, but nevertheless, uh, 
there is an American myth uh, that is so cultural that it pervades our pastoral ministry, and that is that you can be anything you want to be. Mm. You can be anything. So if you read this guy's books, if you go to if yeah. you go to his seminars, yeah, you too. If you if you come to uh, my church and take my seminar, by you know we're going to carry you to the next level. Mm. Now, biblical that's a that's a great. North American myth. We teach our children you can be anything you want to be, uh, which is a lie. Listen, you, it you is do not you You're do right. not want me doing brain surgery on you. I don't. Uh, you don't. Uh, I mean, it's not my it's not in my skill set. It's not in my gift. It's not in my bent. The way God has created me, uh, and I know that now. But it is a myth we teach our children, and it is a myth that seminars and conferences. And literature that sells to our leadership. Uh, and so what happens is, I, I remember one time one pastor told me is, I have instructed my secretary to stop all church pornography from reaching my desk. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, all these glossy, glossy brochures and invitations to the next conference to care. He said, I can't, I, he wow. said, I, I've done that for 15 years. And every time I come back to my little church more depressed than I was before. Wow. So the, the, wow. The, That's a great the point. Statement. Of, the biblical mindset is I can maximize the man God has created or the woman God has created me, but I will never exceed what he's created me to be. That, wow. that's, that's a place. That's wisdom. a place of contentment. It and, is. And, and that, it is. And that may wisdom. mean the capacity that I had to lead a congregation will be maxed out at 100. It may be 500. It may, what, whatever it is, it's not really the books we read. It has a lot to do with the context sometimes of where we're at does make a difference, but uh -huh. also the people who we are. Some of us are better managers. Some of us are better expositors. Some of us are better speakers. Some of us are, some yeah. of us are better at sitting in the hospital with the dying patients and being the presence of Jesus. And, you know, I have seen that as a missions pastor, Joe, in churches that are, you know, they're close to a, a, a huge seminary or Bible college. And, you know, they have got missions people coming out of their church like crazy. And, and for years, I looked at it, I go, why don't we have very many missionaries? And I'm going, you know what? That dude has a Bible college with 10,000 students, you know, right next door, of course they're going to have more sending people, you know, because a lot of students sure. go there to become missionaries. And uh, in our area, we just don't have Well, my, my point so. over a lifetime has, has moved from hoping and praying that my church would become more missional to your church would become more missional. And then it's added to how can I encourage our pastors and staff to enjoy the journey? And mm, boy, that's a good word right there, guys. Uh, hear that. Hear that. Well, I don't I don't think the stress that's, that's and good. anxiety and, uh, you know, some of the the models and the, the competition and, and the flesh that so dominates our hearts at times, which we can robe in, you know, holiness and church expectations. I, I don't know that they're healthy for longevity in the ministry. And I think the numbers kind of indicate that they're not that. I mean, I've heard the numbers of how many people burn out, how many people become discouraged. And I just don't see that uh -huh. as, as God's uh, desire for anybody's life. 
Yeah, I don't either. And, you know, thinking about the senior adult pastor, senior adult church, um, you know, I, I guess what comes to comes to my mind, something you mentioned earlier, you know, are they willing to listen to you? Let's say let's take the church that's really not ever done it before, uh, because if you've got a church that started with the infancy and this is the DNA, then they're 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 probably blowing and going and they're doing right. a great job. But some of those churches that come to this awakening of missions in that senior adult phase, uh, do you find that they're willing to listen and change well, and do what's necessary to move Two forward? scenarios. Number one is they have their pastor who started their church or they have a pastor who's been there a long time and he's got their respect and he's, he's, he's got the authority of longevity in the life of that congregation and, and they're going to uh-huh. follow him. Now there'll be, there'll be wow. some that will be slow adopters, you know, adopters, but Nevertheless, he's got right. the authority. The other is the young buck who comes in, and within a year, he's got his resume out because they, they sit there like, you know, sheep, you know, or like a, I think an old Texas saying is like a calf looking at a new gate. They're looking yeah, at him wondering what that. moon is he from. That, that guy yeah. needs a longer-term patient plan to change the values in the life of the congregation. With that, he can make progress, but if he's just going to – you know, kind of run into that church as a warrior and say, woohoo, let's go. And he turns around and they're all sitting in the pew with their arms folded and going, you know what? We're going to break your hip doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I've seen that a lot, not breaking the hip, but I've seen a lot of congregations. Yeah, yeah it's kind of. And you're right. He's gone within two years. You know, it, it, it's kind of like the, you know, the worship leader, he comes into the senior adult church and his first song is, I can't remember the name of it, but, you know, basically say, we're going to sing and we're going to dance. You know, with joy, and I'm, you know, I heard that happen one time, and I think, you know what, these people are going to break a hip if you get there. This, 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 this is not know your context, dude. Uh, so, so that's right. So know again, I think it really depends on again. See, it's not just where the life cycle of the church, but it's the life cycle of the pastor, and and, and in in helping the local congregations move forward, it's helping that pastor get self awareness. And getting awareness in regards to where his church is at so that leadership can be productive. Wow, man, that's awesome. Well, Joe, we're going to take another break. And uh, when we come back, we are going to be talking about that final stage, which no one likes. It's called death. So I'll be right back. Well, welcome back to KennyMack.com podcast, and today we are talking to Joe Dillon, a strategist with the International Mission Board, and so far, Joe, we have covered the first four stages in the life cycles of a church, and, and we're on the stage that nobody likes, and that is death, and so why don't you tell us a little bit about what death looks like in a church, and maybe, maybe uh, and we're not talking about literal death in the sense of a pastor, but maybe there's a lot of analogy there in the pastor uh, you know, in his life too. So why don't you tell, tell us a little bit about that? Well, let, let me just say first, there's, there've been quite a few books about the life cycle of a church. I've read several and because of the, again, the North American mindset is we don't like death. And so in, in, inevitably, you know, the goal of the book is how to short change, how to short circuit uh, this life cycle, which, which you and okay. I would agree that no one, no one, yeah. you know, technically looks forward to maybe America certainly doesn't look forward to death. But even I'd say as a Christian, I look forward to seeing God, but I don't look forward to, you know, my eyes 
going dimmer and my legs falling off and, you know, life threatening surgeries. Nobody looks forward to the process of death. But, but, but the reality is I can stuff my body into skinny jeans and get earrings and tats, but I'm just going to look saggy, fat and old. It's, it's just, you know, (laughs) and and, and it's, it's, please don't, no, 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 it's it's a, it's a desperate one, but there's no authenticity. And it's and, and people would just look at me and say the dude is deluded, and yeah. and, and, and so I I think t- what I've seen is is the way we approach it as evangelicals in particular is how do we short circuit the death cycle of a church, and and what I've I've noticed is is that there are actually two cycles that do short circuit the death of a geographically fixed location let me let me get real quickly give you both of them Uh, yeah one is is that when the last of that congregation uh small in number finally do acquiesce and say you know we're not getting we're not reaching our community anymore with whatever strategies we formed that what we used in the past was wonderful we enjoyed it we came to christ in under those strategies with those traditions, with that hymnology, whatever it might be. And we understand that. And our ultimate goal is to reach people. So we, we will lay it down to the leadership of a young pastor, and uh, we're just going to be his cheerleaders. Now, <coughs> that church is not perhaps going to – maybe he's got 10 people. Maybe with that young pastor coming in, it begins to fulfill its, uh, you know, I think it's God – field capacity and maybe it goes back to 100 in that community because maybe uh, the community is transitioning but it becomes a gospel lighthouse so to speak it becomes a disciple making you know endeavor all over again because those Uh older people have come alongside and they're basically saying we can't do all the things we used to do we we don't have the physical energies abilities but we, but we can, right. we love our grandchildren. We can birth them babies. Pastor, in other words, we can support you and the people that come to faith in Christ to go back out and engage the world with the gospel. And I've heard many stories of pastors who are saying, my senior adults have empowered me to do whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel. The, Man, the other awesome. is a supernatural resurrection. Okay. Supernatural. I've never heard that. I mean, I know what resurrection is. Think of Lazarus. And the way we would define that is that a man with such dynamic, charismatic capacity can come into a congregation and he can literally kill that congregation. But he is in that small percentage of the pastoral gene pool that he would succeed at whatever he did. And so he immediately attracts so many people into his ministry that even though 300 people walked away from him, 3,000 people in the next three years came into him. He's, he's the okay. guy writing books telling us how to do it. But, but it's yeah. like me reading a book on how I too can be Michael Jordan. Well, that tells you how <laughs> old I am. But yeah. but the reality is, I can't be Michael Jordan. I can't I can't be you know you pick the name. I'm not going to pick the name. You pick the name of the guy 
who every young pastor esteems, looks to, listens to, his podcasts are popular. And they think, if I could, I want to be like that guy. And it's coming to a place, mm. that guy can do supernatural resurrections. And, and I, by supernatural, I don't really mean, it's really natural. It's the most natural thing in the world. Right, right. He's, right. he's got, he's, for whatever reason, it's not his fault. God has, you know, chosen to deposit in this guy extraordinary, usually personable and communi- communication skills that are unusual. Yeah. Yeah, I think of a, and I'll mention names. I think of David Platt or Matt Chandler or some that are popular today that, yeah, man, they, you know, they preach people. So listen. the other side of that is, is that death is normal. Uh, I was, I was in a, another state and he was telling me that all of our crossroad churches are dying and it's, it's going to mean, it's going to really, really look different, look different in our giving and our our baptism and so forth. And I said, "What? Well, explain to me what is what is a crossroads church?" He said, "We were a farming community for two hundred years." He said, "The crossroads is where they built a post office, a general store, and where the Methodist and Baptist evangelical churches put themselves." But all of these mm-hmm. families, the kids have gone and got an education, and they've moved to Atlanta, they've moved to Charlotte, they moved to Boston. And those family farms have been assimilated by mega corporations or, you know, they've become retirement, you know, places, whatever. And, and so those congregations are going to, we're we're pumping money into them. We're trying to find out ways to keep them alive. But the reality is, it's kind of like the old, uh, you know, vacation movie where the ant dies and they just roll her up in a rug and put her on the roof. She's she's dead, but she's going on vacation. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're carrying a lot of dead churches on vacation. Wow. And so your recommendation would be let them yes. die. Oh, wow. Wow. Just let them die. Well, they're Where, going, they're going, they're going to, fi- it doesn't matter. I mean, they're going to, because their context has changed. And right. They may be in an industrial area now. They, instead they of may, neighborhood. Yeah. They may be in a former, you know, small, our rural communities are disappearing. And our small towns are diminishing. I've heard this from pastors, you know, oh, we used to run 250 in our town. You know, we had, you know, 7,000 people in it, but there's 1,200 people left and they're all senior adults. Yeah. And you see that a lot too, I would imagine, in the ethnical changes of neighborhoods, where as in one time this church was ethnically this ethnic people group and then you know the the neighborhood changed and all of a sudden it's changed well my my fear is uh, we 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 beat up our young pastors and leaders because guys our age say well you know it used to be better we used to baptize more hmm. we you know we you know and our young pastor comes into that particular church and he becomes very discouraged quickly because the potential he's he's never going to be a carry of that church back to where it used to be and if he knows that from the get-go he's okay but you think they hired him just so he could be the guy to I, take him i think i think in the memory of that church it's it's all about what god did in the past because the community has transitioned and changed and a young pastor goes mm-hmm. in and understands that and and depends on the power of god he can be fruitful in his ministry but it's not going to be the ministry that was in the 50s and so we keep repeating ourselves by saying, well, we're diminishing, we're diminishing, we're diminishing. And that, that, that can be true. Maybe we're not as evangelistic as we used to be. But I also say that our culture is shifting and transitioning 
And we've got to take that into account, into our strategies in order to be, in order to not only not go crazy and just be frustrated, but to be as fruitful as potentially we can in the context wherever God places us as leaders in congregations. And and so, you know, your your message, you know, not this is again, we're speaking in generalities, but your message to a church that could be in the death stage would be, you know what, you may be dying. It's not necessarily a bad thing to hand your building over to a group that is growing and needs a building and ready to roll. I've seen that happen many times. Absolutely. Matter of fact, a friend of mine, it just happened to him uh, probably last year where they, they took over an incredible building and uh, man, they're thriving in it. Whereas that I, I can think not. of a situation in Raleigh where it was a, it was, you know, just put it the way it was. It was a white Anglo-Saxon middle-class neighborhood and uh, strong, Community church, you know, lots of times in the past we had a lot of strong community churches and not many mega churches. Uh-huh. And over right. as people moved out and as other ethnicities moved in, the church continued to look like the former community. When they got to a point where they called a young pastor, uh, maybe there were 20, 25 people, a uh, young pastor, he, he was not going to be a mega church pastor. He didn't even have any desire to be a mega church pastor. He understood all the all the challenges he would face as a pastor trying to reach a transitioning multi-ethnic community with a lot of drugs and a lot of poverty. Well, over over the next wow. three years, they saw 30, 40, 50 people come to faith in Christ. Well, after wow. that many years, they had 90 in attendance. Well, that's that is that exciting for us as evangelicals and Baptists? No, man. Yeah, no. I mean, this guy had six kids. He was living on $30,000 a year. And in my estimation, my estimation, he was changing the world for Christ. Right. So, no, his goal wow. was not to make that. He was not. He was he wasn't going to turn it over to the summit. He wasn't going to. I mean, that wasn't his vision. His vision wasn't. Right. Let me, let me just be graphic. His vision wasn't to bring white millennials into that church to fill it up. His vision was to reach that community with the gospel of Christ in the reality of where it was. he was a healthy, missiologically focused pastor. Wow. And it takes a lot of maturity um, to come into if you're a young person, it takes a lot of maturity to come in that, that, that position, realize who you are realize where your church is that you're going into and to make it work. It, it takes a lot of maturity. It does. And you often have to overcome the, uh, the median, uh, the media of success that drives many of our churches. Yeah. It, and, and you know what? <laughs> I see that a lot too, because if it's not bigger, better then you're not in anything. And so do you see that a lot um, in churches? out there that they're like, uh, I want to get bigger. I want to be this. I want to be that. And if so, what do you tell them? Uh, well, you know, I'm there as a guest. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> but so you can yeah. leave. <laughs> uh, so, you know, blow in, blow up, blow out, but, uh, you don't, you don't get an yeah. invitation back, you know, from, from my perspective, <laughs> you're really looking for an open door. You know, you're looking for a pastor or a leader's heart who, who, who has listening ear and, uh, you know, you can speak into that. You can't speak into a guy who's who's just kind of enraptured with his own success. 
And that's and I mean that's not even a critical word. That's just a true word. Uh, I, I'm just yeah. I'm just saying, having lived overseas in, in in areas where there was poverty and the church was growing exponentially, I, I've come I've come to the re- realization that uh, the the simple pastor in the world who says I have I have the power of prayer and the Holy Spirit living me, I have enough. That he wow. he is wow. he is light years ahead of anything uh, I can imagine in regards to my thinking. Okay, I've got I've got a list of six pages of things that have to happen that I need in order to see people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Wow, well, Joe, that is incredible, and I tell you what, this has been incredible, and so uh, we really appreciate you being on. Joe, if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to go ahead. If, if you're a Southern Baptist church and you're wanting to move forward be, being with missions, I'm going to uh, point them to the Success Center. And if, if you want to call them, they can connect you with different people. And the number there is 1-800-999-9113. No, I'm sorry, Joe. It's 3113. Is I, that right? I think you were successful that last time. We may have to recut this part out, but, uh, you know, Joe, I am so glad you're here and we're going to direct people to where they can be in touch with the International Mission Board and you can reach them at 1-800-999-3113. That is our success center there and uh, they can put you in touch with people like Joe or Joe that can help you with uh, moving your church towards a missional focus. So Joe, we really appreciate you being with us and uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. Kenny well, Kenny, I love you, brother. You know that. I love you too, bro. And we will see okay, you later. God bless. Thank you. This concludes our interview with Joe Dillon of the international mission board. And you know, one of the reasons why I even wanted to start Kenny was I really want to find some connection and help facilitate connection between missional people. And so if that's you and you would like to make some of those connections, I hope you'll check out my website at Kenny-MACMAC.com. So it's KennyMac.com. Look around, and if there's anything there that interests you, I hope you'll make a connection and send me an email. Have a great day, and thank you for listening. 